We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers uh, had another heartbreaker late game loss, this time uh, with an egregious no-call at the end of regulation. We're going to talk about other elements of the game. It certainly wasn't the only thing that happened, but in the context of a game with a really soft whistle for Boston and all the Tatum's grifty gathers and in the context of you know, several missed no calls where the league in their last two minute report goes, oh, that's our bad, you know, as though that does anything for us. That was a tough one, man. In Boston, um, Mike, you were on the ground. Uh, I would love to hear what the scene was after the game. Uh, well, it really was outrageous. Uh, it just was. It, it was not a it's not one of those where you kind of can you come away rationalizing and say, yeah. You know, that happens. And, uh, well, the, the Lakers got this call a couple minutes earlier. And so they were due one. It was it was just a straight the the missed calls just led directly to a loss that should have been a win. And there's no other way to put it. And I think so. I just I just the thing that stood out the most to me was being in the locker room, and just kind of being in front of LeBron, who was just kind of like the way that he was on the court when he didn't get that last call. I think anybody that was invested in that game uh, that wasn't a Celtics fan. I think could could certainly relate with that. And even Celtic fan friends of mine um, that, that were just texting like, oh, man, you know, yeah, that one was messed up. You know, Pete, uh, we don't have to talk about it. But, yes, I do know some people from Boston. Good to know. Um, Good to know. It's something that I hold against them, though, if that makes you feel better. Yeah. Well, this is something I hold against you now, too. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so you get you get to the point where LeBron's in the locker room just discussing it. And this is now, I don't know. 45 minutes after the game and just still like, I don't get it. And he still doesn't get it on Twitter. And the way that Darvin Ham described it, I think is, is the easiest one to connect. Uh, so one, the, the one official um, that sort of missed the last two calls. So Patrick Beverly digs down and tries to get after the missed corner three um, from Horford or no, he rebounded that one. They run the play. Jalen Brown gets the, uh, 
ends up getting the ball and drive driving to the rim and Beverly from behind swipes down. Now LeBron, I still haven't gotten a great look at this play, even though I, I tried to, to look back on the league pass feed and it looked so LeBron assuredly like he got the ball and then the ball hit Brown's head. But either way, the, the whistle on that comes not from the baseline official that's right there, but late from the outside official. And this is with, what was it, seven seconds left or something like that? Yeah, it was so, a Horford missed corner three. It wasn't, okay, I, it was, I thought Beverly, mm-hmm. I thought Beverly rebounded the miss. That was the previous Horford possession, three. and he did rebound the miss. So he took two, yes. okay. That yes. was where he Got rebounded it. it, and then he missed one of the two free. Yeah, one of the two, and then and then it was another Horford three. Okay, well, alas. Um, so then you get down on the other end, and LeBron, instead of settling for a jump shot, takes it strong to the hoop and has the has the lane and Tatum obviously and very clearly grabs his left arm. But the same official who called the whistle late on Beverly on what was a questionable call, even though Beverly should not have done that, right? He should have conceded the layup um, up three, but and doesn't call that. And that's the that's the one that the whole locker room is going to have a big problem with, because if you're going to call, especially since they had been calling that it that way for a lot of Celtics calls, you mentioned some of them from Tatum, Pete. Um, kind of that was the consistent call that they were making, even if it was a little bit more towards the Celtics and to, to not give that to LeBron, to not do anything, to not call the other official over and give yourself a chance, you know, to get it right. Maybe buying 10 seconds by calling, you know, sometimes they'll do that if it's a possession thing. It was just uh, very unfortunate. And you started to hear from league people right afterwards, like, yeah, you know, that was a. Uh, that was the incorrect call. So it's, it's a tough one to take. And I don't, honestly, that hasn't changed much now. And we're, as we talk on Monday morning, like it, it just remains not, not great. So this is a bit of a side rant. And then I'm going to get into the Celtics Lakers stuff. The, um, for the last, I want to say three or four years, I feel like the NBA officiating has been worse than what I remember it being for like the 10 or 15 years prior to that. And I don't, I don't know if that's just me getting old and being grumpier about things. Um, for the longest time, I prided myself on not being a, like, this is the ref's fault sort of fan. Like I've, I've almost for almost the entirety of time that I've watched and enjoyed basketball, particularly during my adult life, I've been someone who's been like, look, game isn't lost on a single play or a single call. Bad calls happen. Missed calls happen. It's the way of the game. You've got a hundred or so possessions in any given game in order to do the things that you need to do in order to win. Like you don't want the game to come down to a final play. Don't let it come down to a final play. There were probably 20 other plays you could have made during the rest of the game. And even to that point, like Beverly missing a free throw where he could have sealed the game to put the Lakers up for Beverly committing a foul that is in the moment. That's a tough call to make, but the ref blew the whistle. There are angles apparently that exist on the internet that show that Beverly might've hit him in the head. Okay. Like Mike said, you probably just concede the layup there. I think it's like muscle memory for a player like Patrick Beverly, whose entire career has been made off of trying to make that exact play. Like have him, having him pull back and be like, oh, no, not this time. That's- it's a quick bang, bang play uh, on the like. And, and it was the correct call, albeit very late. I thought it was the correct call. Yeah, it was late. And so so I've I feel like 
the level of officiating has gone down. And I feel like over at any given point over the course of like a 30 or 40 year sample, there's going to be a turnover in referees, right? Refs can't ref forever. The guys who I remember being refs when I was a kid, like all of those, um, like the Hugh Hollisons of the world and just Kersey and yes, yeah, uh, and, and yeah, yeah, and and all of those guys, like you know those players or you know those referees' names because they refereed for so long. Now that didn't necessarily mean that they were excellent at their jobs. There were longtime refs where I was just like, oh, the Lakers got this guy tonight. Yep, but you at least sort of knew what to expect on any given night from the referee. And again, like I said, over the course of of a game, there's going to be missed calls. NBA is a super fast sport and things happen very quickly. And for a call to get missed, a call gets missed. That said, I have been struggling with the idea of the inconsistencies night to night to night from NBA refereeing for a while now. And if you've been a longtime listener to, to the pod, this is a version of the same rant or thing that I've said at various points over the last two or three seasons, I feel like, Pete. So I have some frustrations around the general inconsistencies of the whistle from night to night to night. And getting back to the Celtics game now, LeBron's particular frustrations are around the idea, I think, that, and this, whether this rings hollow with like other NBA fans across the league, like, like I'll, I'll self bleep this out myself, but like F them, basically, like they don't watch every single Lakers game. I do. I'm a pretty discernible fan. I understand that there are times where LeBron is bullying the hell out of dudes, just like Shaq used to. And it's just like, and so there's a certain amount of physicality that LeBron plays with that does not entitle him to get every single call because calls could go both ways against him. And he benefits from that, Pete. But LeBron gets hit a fair amount on shots and he does not get the type of whistle that other sort of superstars get. And I don't care what other fans for other teams say about this. And so it's been built, the part of the frustrations that Mike mentioned that LeBron is feeling is that this has been building. And this was spoken to by LeBron. I think someone asked him this and I'm not sure who did, but it's like LeBron got fouled on a very similar play to on a game-winning layup attempt against the Mavericks in the first overtime, right hit right on the arm on a layup attempt. And these aren't difficult calls. The one against Boston was particularly egregious because he it was a straight line drive. At least the one against the Mavs, he is like going underneath the basket and he is sort of cradling and dipping the ball. This isn't one one of those. He is full on extended, like Statue of Liberty style. My arm is out and he misses a layup by three feet and the ball comes out of his hand weird. It's just like, dude got fouled. And to miss that specific call after calling, forget the Brown whistle. How about the whistle earlier where Dennis Schroeder got called for some phantom push on Jason Tatum on a layup attempt where that foul gets called five seconds after the ball has been rebounded? How about the play where Anthony Davis is clearing out Derek White on an offensive rebound attempt and he gets called for that call. How about the one where they had the challenge, they had the challenge to call and blow their challenge on a play where AD is 
three feet jumping backwards from Jason Tatum and Tatum gets a whistle on that play. These And so I'm speaking from a level of frustration, mostly from LeBron's perspective, Pete, whereas it's like these are the calls that other players are getting these sort of soft, like I'm just around the basket and I miss. And now that's being labeled as the type of incidental contact that forces a miss, which is language that's in the rule book. Well, incidental contact, LeBron's missing shots around the basket on incidental contact two or three times a game, right? But those aren't the whistles that he's getting. And so I get the frustration. Sorry for my rant there. I talked for a long time. Pete, please take the mic away from me because I'm mad all over again. No, no, we needed to get this out, man. And it's something, again, this is not a topic that we cover generally all that frequently, but it's it's a mounting frustration. And if it were just this game, I think that the level of frustration would be a lot lower, but needed to get that out. Let's let's move on to the game. Two topics stand out to me. You guys, uh, dealer's choice on this. Russ's awful shifts all the way up until overtime versus the awful late game offense of which Russell Westbrook was not a part of. And the it's again, we've that groundhog day kind of falling uh, by the wayside down the stretch. So which direction, Mike, your choice, man, which one do you want to go on this? Well, as far as Russ goes, I think that it's important just because what are the Lakers going to do moving forward? And in this game, I remember on the text thread, right? We were kind of wondering, all right, is Darwin going to go back to Russ? Um, after it, it's clearly not been his night and he didn't up until overtime when he reinserted him after things were just odd at that point. Right. And yeah, well, it was a defensive of- substitution at that point. Well, we could talk about that a little bit later, but that was a Jalen Brown is too big for Dennis Schroeder. No bad, no matter how hard Dennis Schroeder tries type of thing. So yeah, we can get to that later, but that was, I, I think that was the reason behind that. Yeah, I think. And I also think that the, the Lakers at that point were very understandably just kind of emotionally sapped. And there's, there is one element of there's, that's one thing where Russ is going to come in. And even if he continues to take some, some shots that maybe are questionable, he's, he's not, he, maybe he's not going to care about the emotional uh, downturn there. And, and so I, I understood that, but so Lonnie Walker is back and I thought looked much better than I expected. I mean, he's hitting jump shots. He's got his confidence. I talked to him after the game and he, Early in the season when he did the whole thing about how how confident he is in his jump shot, even when it's not going in, and uh, it's too beautiful, I think, to something like that. And then he he basically just referenced that again and said, like, look, man, I yeah, I know I was out, didn't hurt my confidence. So like, well, great. Yeah, that's how it looked. And Austin, at some point coming back, there are going to be more times when Darvin can do that, where he can go away from Russ if Russ is not having a game like that. But I did I did think it was significant just in that the Lakers were playing. They were executing. They were playing well. The, the spirit was good. And there are just so many possessions where when something like that happens from Russ, it just breaks that flow and it breaks that rhythm. And then they have to they have to re-energize all over again. And some of it is just the like being goaded into taking jump shots by like the Celtics fans or by the way that Boston is playing and just not being able to resist those type of moments. So I did find that. I, I felt like the game would have been uh, it wouldn't have needed to come down to the slog uh, Pete in the, in the final five minutes if if that if those types of plays had not happened. And so that to me then takes precedence over what I'm not going to dismiss uh, is a are some late game struggles. But 
to me, some of those will ameliorate as Anthony Davis gets more in rhythm. And he clearly just was not in rhythm. And that was another thing, too. Had, had he just hit his usual number of those little floating kind of one-handers that he just couldn't get to go, then it wouldn't have come down to that either. For sure. And with respect to Rusty, um, that's a an element of his game that I think is worth exploring. I think that like I have a great appreciation, especially we saw it uh, down the stretch defensively in that overtime. It was a defensive sub and he came in and he forced a couple of turnovers. He got a, a wild put back tip in. Um, there's a level of physicality and athleticism that he provides to our team, to our team that is really helpful in ways that I don't think we shine a light on quite brightly enough. That said, the, he, what's, What's particularly harmful about the shifts like he had is that when other guys are bad, it's more of an in- infrequent, like, hey, that it's not this guy's night tonight. But with Russ, it's like this stream of plays where it's uh, a wild pass that's a turnover, and then he doesn't run back and gives up a layup. And then he comes down and he takes, uh, uh, he forces a jumper that they're goading him into take. And so it's like a lot of, hey, we're up eight. Oh, now it's a tight game. A lot of good work gets erased in a short period of time where both of those things are a thing. And we saw them both in that game. Now, it was like 80 percent of the bad. And really, it was just the overtime of which there were a couple of bad possessions there offensively, too. And I think as we zero in more on this as the season goes on, I think there are some interesting conversations there. But that's a tough thing to account for is when a guy can be actively disastrous for a four minute stretch that has this this huge and immediate impact on the scoreboard that is is tough is tough to overcome yeah it's like the trap door falls out from underneath you right and suddenly alice in wonderland you're you're in the new place yeah and the game and the circumstances and the tenor of things just changes and it's so immediate that there's shock value and a lot of times that shock value is a lingering thing that is hard to overcome when it's you're the team who is dealing with the fallout from that forget whether or not the other team can galvanize around that which sometimes they do and sometimes they don't i thought boston probably didn't do as good a job as they could have done in terms of seizing control of the game out of some of those disastrous rust shifts the thing that i was going to say and hit on because the way that you described russ pete the thing that went through my head is that The part of Russ, the things that he's good at, that sort of power and force and like the level of activity and how that activity can break down a defense and like all the positive benefits of that, that there are on both sides of the ball. That is basically his only path to be an impact player on this version of like of the Lakers. Now, there are varying degrees of that, like there's still a range within that sort of play. But for the most part, one of the reasons why he sucked against the Celtics for the most part is the same reason why he like sucked against the Clippers for the most part is that he was more of a settling player and all of the physicality and all of the force and all the urgency that he can manufacture and create out of nothing just from being a power guard that stuff was not really on display at all. And so at that point, he just becomes another guy out there. But his role on the team is such 
that he's going to get the usage regardless, right? And so the way that Russ has been set up to be a functioning and successful part of the team, and he has been to this point of the season, like to what degree that's arguable. He's had some very important performances and he's had some very bad performances. And I think this is the nature of our conversation with him. But if he's not doing the force stuff and he's not getting to the basket and he's not scoring and he's not getting a tip rebound and he's not and he's not and he's not, then it's like he almost can't play. But you can't build that into your mindset as a team. It's just like you can't give the dude a shift and be like, oh, nope, not your day. So now we're changing the entire game plan for what we are as a team. So let's go to break here. Because on the other side of this, I want to talk a little bit about how you account for that when building out a game plan. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yo, that was the rare but impressive self-toss that I was thrown off by because I, I thought you were throwing that to either me or Pete, and then and then you took it. And I want you to keep taking it. I was I was merely going to acknowledge that I'm glad that you're alive. Michael um, thought that you were dead, um, so that's exciting. And this also, I forgot to ask you if this where a game like that would rank on the displeasure scale, which which might even go above microwave fish. But you know, that's an aside. The self-toss takes precedence over that. No, so the displeasure scale, Pete, imagine get jobbed in Boston by referees as- what Pretty high up on mine. Yeah. 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 
like this may this may supersede the displeasure scale entirely like this is its own whole thing and so i don't want to actually keep talking i will kick it back to you guys about russ in general because i'm not exactly sure how you balance this as a head coach like i think darwin's done about as good as a job as you could do in terms of promoting the positive aspects of Russ and trying to get the most out of him. But that is that comes with some self-inflicted wounds that you just sort of have to absorb. But the last several games, the Lakers have absorbed more of those than what I think is sustainable for successful basketball at large. And it's a tricky path. So I, I fully agree on the promotion of the positive aspects of his, of his game. I think there's more we can do in the mit- mitigation of the negative aspects. One of the things that I liked offensively about that overtime shift where we had been reeling and actually his insertion into the game kind of brought it back within reach. We didn't, weren't able to pull it out, but he was a positive imp- impact overall in that last shift. And in part because he was a screen setter, we were operating the late game offense. And this is something that, that I want to get into more in depth, but rather than starting our late game offense at the top, moving to the side, that's what we did against Milwaukee. Um, we had a really rough stretch in the, done at the regula- end of regulation where Russ wasn't even in the game and we couldn't get a bucket. And then we called the timeout. When we came out of it, we got AD and elbow touch that flowed into a handoff with LeBron who relocated from the corner to the wing and LeBron hit a three. And so like tilting the axis of, of our offense is something that I think we can do down the stretch, both with Russ and with and, and both with Russ and without him in terms of like getting better late game offense. But I, I just wanted to throw that in, Mike, in that like I agree that we've facilitated success on that front, but like mitigating more of the negative, we have more more ground to cover in that respect. Yeah, it's a it's a totally accurate point. I'm just like with Russ. It's not so much about the way that he's going to play, because that that is as we've discussed ad nauseum, I don't know that that's going to change. So then what circumstances is Darvin Ham having to put him in? And that's the part that I always end up bemoaning is, is if you could just sort of let, let's get down here and let's sit down and let's watch the tape. And here, these are the things that just don't work when we do them. And it's like, you can't, that just can't evolve um, with that part of the game. And, and so I don't have any, any great solutions to it uh, other than, Cutting some of the cutting some of the opportunities by which those will happen, but then I think the the fear from a coaching perspective might be well, then you'll lose some of the what the positive elements have been in certain aspects of the game, which typically are more in the middle of the game and not to close quarters and those kinds of things. Pete, I want to bring Darvin into this then because you're talking about sort of the mitigation and the tilting of the axis offensively and like these are schematic things basically and one of the things that i think is one of the trickiest part of coaching a lebron james team is implementing the type of schematic adjustments that you want to implement while ceding control of the action on the court to the player LeBron is one of those guys where it's just like you typically like almost every coach that I've heard talk about LeBron and especially his coaches, the guys who have coached him here. It's always like, well, we trust the player. We trust LeBron to make the right decision. We trust LeBron. We trust LeBron. Luke Walton said it. Frank Vogel has said it. And Darvin Ham has said it. And this extends to Russell Westbrook. This has been if you listen to Darvin Ham talk about Russell yeah. Westbrook. 
he's like he's one of the greatest 75 players of all time. There's an implicit like I believe in you. And that's part of the reason why we've had successes with Russ this season. I, like, I believe in you. I believe in what you can do. But one of the ways that manifests itself, that can go too far in another direction. Bring you to the end of the second Philly game, the home Philly game, where we're down by one. He had just gotten a great stop on a switch on Joel Embiid. He stonewalled him right around the free throw line, forced Embiid into like a fadeaway 17-footer that back rimmed. Russ gets the, the defensive rebound. There's... 17 or less than 24 seconds left last shot territory right and Russ gets the defensive rebound and Joel Embiid ends up on him now if you think about what Russ and the side one side of the court is is cleared out so this is a one-on-one situation Russell Westbrook versus Joel Embiid Joel Embiid is one of the very best defensive players in the world one of the very best rim protectors in the world and strong as hell just one of the biggest people in the league And when you think about what Russell Westbrook is good at and how he beats his guys, it's often through that force and that power rather than skill. And so you ask, is Russell Westbrook going to overpower Joel Embiid? Almost certainly not. Same thing is true in an overtime possession in a a corner situation against Al Horford. Is Al Horford, who's one of the best positional defenders in the league, is he going to get overpowered or beaten to the basket by Russ. No, he's going to sag off enough and take the right angles and force him into a difficult shot. And so there's a certain point where empowerment goes too far and that that precedes the X's and O's type of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, when you've got Russ against Joel Embiid, it's like, I believe in you. Don't get me wrong. But we need to call timeout right now because we need to get a better shot than this. I 100% agree with that. And this is the tricky part about being a head coach, right? It's just like the allowances and the freedom that you give to players is what puts them in position to sort of reach that elevated state of like Zen and the zone, right? Because if you're constantly like, no, 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 no. Like I've got, it's like, I never used one of these with, well, with my kids, Mike, but have you ever seen those, those parrots that put on like the little backpack and it's got the little leash that's on the back. And then it's just like, and they're walking their two-year-old around. You see those at like, Disneyland sometimes. And yeah. 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 It's, it's so like, I never used one of those with my mm-hmm. kids, but it's just like, you see these, these parents and it's just like, okay, well you've got literally this much rope. And this is how far you're going to go. And then if you go farther than that, you're going to feel the tug and you're going to come back. There are NBA coaches who were like that, too. It's just like, nope, nope, nope. The structure of my offense, what I want from my scheme, this is what we're going to do. The point guard's always looking to the sideline. What are we running this this time down? Oh, fist up. Okay, fist up. Here we go. Oh, oh, you want horns? Okay, horns. Here we go. Let's set it up. And everything is being signaled from the sideline, very similar to an offensive coordinator in football and Darwin isn't one of those types of coaches like he's just not and so that freedom that he gives players it's one of the reasons why you look at a player like Lonnie or any of these other guys like I feel like the confidence that coach instills in them is one of the reasons why they play as hard as they do and as free as they do and why they have the success that they do but there are times Pete where the strategic now this so that's the before the X's and O's part, right? But now let's get to the X's and O's part. 
because there are still times where you need that X's and O's in order to get the team into the spots where you're exploiting a part of the weaknesses within the other team based off of your personnel and what your team is good at. And that's the balance and why it's tricky to be a head coach. And Boston, for almost the entirety of the second half, but most of the fourth quarter, they were starting possessions with Malcolm Brogdon on Anthony Davis. And they were doing that because when AD, almost every, the Lakers are such a pick and roll heavy team that they wanted Brogdon to switch on to the ball handler whenever AD came up to set a screen. And the Lakers rarely, and they were calling this out like on the broadcast, but it was like, well, Van Gundy's like, you come out of a timeout. I don't care what the play call is. Yes. You see the other team <laughs> is in a defensive formation where Malcolm Brogdon is on Anthony Davis. You scrap the play and you're like, hey, look, look. What That's the type of advantage do. you try to draw up in the huddle, right? You try to draw up a great play to be able to get a Brogdon on an, on an AD. And so, but that wasn't just an after timeout little like, like, oh, we're going to like mess them up by doing this. This was their entire fourth quarter defense. They did this every single time. And one of the things I was looking for was like, the Celtics are trying to outthink the thinker here. And so this is one of the new strategies around the NBA, actually, defensively over the last few years is when we were trying to get the ball into AD, they would double. And so the idea is we, Indiana did this with, uh, with, was it Nemhard on, uh, on LeBron, I believe, where it's like, hey, we're going to have this guy that's totally outsized defending him. And if you do get that post catch, the second guy's coming right away. So it doesn't matter that you've got this small guy on him because we're going to double that. Now, there are ways to bury that guy deeper where the second guy can't help it and, and all of that. But that's one of the things that teams have been doing more and more defensively the last few years. But here's the counter to that, though is one of the reasons why you have an Anthony Davis or a LeBron James and why they make the game easier is because of their ability to draw a second defender. And so if the if the if the other team's entire plan is, well, here's what we're going to do. This is very galaxy brain here. Like here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a small guy on their best big guy so that when the big guy does this thing, we're going to send multiple people at him in order to compromise the rest of our defense. It's just like, you see where I'm going with this? But one of the things, but the Lakers didn't really do anything to capitalize on that sort of galaxy brain thinking. And instead it was like, let's slow the ball down. And this goes back to that fourth quarter stuff where you dealer's choice, Pete, where it's just like rushing in the game at this point. There's only, it's like Troy Brown out there and Pat Bev and these guys. And it's just like, okay, well, this is the plan. And there wasn't a lot of adjusting to Boston going galaxy brain with their defense. And the Lakers didn't make them pay. That that part is, of course, true. And I think that the biggest element there is Darvin Ham trusting, just leaving things to LeBron and to an extent AD. And the problem with this season has been above everything else has been the games missed by a lot of players. It's been just like last year, just like the year before. And so Anthony Davis comes back after being out for a long time and has to play five extra minutes to go right past his minutes limit. Not only is he tired, but he's not in rhythm. LeBron 
and especially once you get down to the to the overtime, but even at the end of regulation, you know, is it, it's a lot, especially to go against that specific Boston team and what their wings are and all the switching and stuff like that. And who else is out there on the court next to them? Well, that's been something that has changed every game. And that's a point that LeBron has made. So they're the best the best chance, not just for the Lakers players, but for the coaching staff is to just get some level of health. I say that as LeBron and AD are not going to play in Brooklyn. And the game tonight, the, the reason why I'm in New York City, and um, by the way, the teams, I know that, you know, Manhattan is the other side of the river, but the team stays in Manhattan. And so I, New York City is still Brooklyn anyway. So the game is in Brooklyn tonight. The team will come back here. Game tomorrow night is in New York, is in uh, actual in, in Manhattan against the Knicks. And can they find that semblance of consistency? Do they need to? Uh, can it be a little bit more like the 2019-20 team where it was usually the same three or four guys, but then it, you could rotate one of the one in, which is fine. And all of that to me goes back to late game execution. That's the, that's the biggest time that you need some, some some semblance of, yeah, let's let's go to this play. Let's go to that play. We know which guy's going to be here. And Pete, he can knock that shot down um, if if he that player is the one that's spaced out to the corner. So all that stuff was not all of it. Much of that was lacking um, down in crunch time. And they would have won anyway. Um, had the refs just made the similar. <laughs> I mean, this is where, Pete, I'm, I'm still looking for everyone coming back and then the decisions that Darwin is still going to have to make, right? And what is that going to look like? And so Darwin was closing the game again with basically the starting lineup, right? So Troy Brown was in. Dennis Schroeder was in. Um, Patrick Beverly was in. Bev had played well. He had shot the ball well. Um, he had defended mostly well. But the team played smaller guys against a team full of big wings. And Rui didn't have a great game, but he had a good plus-minus number again. Um, and there are decisions that are going to be made about or that are going to need to be made about, like, well, what is your best closing lineup? One of the things that is in contrast, Mike, to the 1920 season, of course, is that there were all of those late game shuffles in terms of player personnel, but all of those guys had gotten so many reps together because no one was hurt the entire season anyway, right? And and so it didn't matter. You swap in Danny Green or Alex Caruso or Rajon Rondo or KCP or Kyle Kuzma, they all had reps. They all knew what the deal was. And LeBron and AD were playing at such a high level that maybe you could say it didn't matter, but it did matter within the context of we all know what we're doing and where to cut and when to cut and where to screen and how to screen and what the play call is and everything else. And so the Lakers just haven't had a lot of that, Pete. And so this is an important stretch of the season, not from a win-loss perspective, but because players are coming back healthy. I, I know that Austin's going to be reevaluated later this week. Hopefully he'll be in the lineup by the time the weekend comes and that will then be a full team. And then you're basically a week away from the trade deadline at that point as well. And so there's potential for another shift in group, but within a two and a half week period, the Lakers are going to have the team that they're going to have and health willing. There's going to be way more choices to make. And what are those choices going to be and what are you going to optimize and, and what are your goals within these groups? I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I know that we need to wrap up soon. So please, Pete, bring us home. No, that's really uh, to be continued on that front because the 
personnel and the you know what we do down the stretch and all of that this has been a season of a multitude of valid perspectives and approaches that are often very different from each other on the same topic and so really just probably the most fascinating team i've I've ever covered and ever watched uh it may end in disaster it may end in glory who knows but um it's something that there are a lot of conversations to be had so we got brooklyn tonight i'm actually excited about tonight's game i think uh it's a chance for rui to get some shots it's a chance for when in to play uh you know brooklyn's obviously down kd i don't view tonight's game as an unwinnable one although brooklyn would certainly be favored so excited to see lonnie get some run hopefully there's a just some degree of tag team effect where guys who have been ready to go and rearing to go are uh you know get some run in and hopefully we can we can steal a win tonight we'll be back tomorrow regardless of how it goes but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.